and making business profitable with EGS. What is EGS? It's EBITDA Growth Systems. What is EBITDA? EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Why is EBITDA important? Because it tells you how much your business is worth. This podcast is brought to you by EBITDA Growth Systems, where we guarantee to double your profits within three years or give you your money back. Today's podcast is about maintaining yourself and your business. But before we get started, Dave, what's new with you? You know, I'll tell you what, this, uh, this weekend I was doing some work in the podcast studio and putting all that foam up on the wall, and I had lots of encounters with this double-sided sticky tape for foam. And uh, let me tell you a secret about that stuff. Once you get it on your finger, it is ridiculous. And if you want to cut it, like in segments, you don't ever want to put it on anything sticky, because it is, I was totally just stuck together for a minute. Well, it looks great, Dave. I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I came in this morning and saw the podcast studio. Just, it looks great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I got, I'll got. i give some credit to uh, Lance and Sean that came on here and helped. It was good. Good. It was good. But today we have a uh, a guest, the pro sauce, Adam Prosice. And hey, how's it going, Dave? Yeah, going good, man. Thanks for thanks for making the podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So, so tell me, or tell everybody about yourself. I mean, when did you start? You're like this mountain biking dude. So I know you can fix anything and you love mountain biking. So tell me how you got into mountain biking and, and all that. Uh, well, first off, I'm from Iowa. I went to college for agronomy, which is in the agriculture department. Um, I rode mountain bikes then. I wanted to move to Colorado to ride mountain bikes more. So the agriculture out here isn't quite uh, where you want to be and make the money. So. I ended up getting a job at a machine shop in Boulder, and uh, that's pretty much where my machining background started. I grew up working in in a garage, but um, yeah, the manufacturing uh, period started there and just started riding mountain bikes more and more. And yeah, after that, I started working for a mountain bike company. Right on. Now, now, you've had some like significant mountain bike races you've been a part of, right? Uh, yeah, so I race, if you could call it professionally, um, I work full-time. So I guess I am a full-time employee, but I race professionally. Um, I travel around to do mountain bike races that are fun. Um, I don't really do it for necessarily the competition, but more the good times and just riding bikes. Right on, right on. So what's the... the... What was your favorite, give us your favorite uh, event that you were at, favorite race that you were a part of, anywhere in the world? Uh, well, I've traveled to Slovenia for single speed world championships. I've done some enduro races in Mexico. And I'd say my favorite one was a race called Trans BC in British Columbia. It's a six day enduro where you're riding about 30 to 40 miles per day with about 5,000 feet of ele- elevation gain. Um, the best part about that is it's, it's a race, but it's also six days long. So it's just about like maintaining yourself and maintaining your equipment. So um, it's just a ton of fun because everybody's out there just to have a good time. I, I saw what you did there. That's, that's <laughs> good. That's good. Well, was, that was just the last couple of years, wasn't it? Uh, that was... 
last that one was last summer yeah right we were supposed to have another race this year but it was canceled before the rona got us we were able to do that yeah awesome so so you're talking five thousand feet of elevation change. So I'm not I'm not a I'm, I'm not a petite man. So mountain biking is a little difficult for me, but especially the uphill portion of it. <laughs> so you're talking. I mean, how fast do you get going when you get going downhill? Uh, pretty fast. But I mean, the enduro format is um, you're timed on downhill stages. Uh, it's not quite like a downhill race because there's still there can be some climbing in the stage. Uh, but the big thing is the climb to the next stage is not timed. So you you have kind of a time limit, but you can take as much time as you need. So a lot of times you're taking it easy, um, slow pedaling, or even that Trans BC race. There was uh, there was a couple of stages where it was like two hours of climbing above treeline with our bikes on our back. So it it can kind of be pretty widespread of how different races are um races in colorado have tend to be at bike parks which um the uphill stages are on lifts which i think is kind of lame but um so yeah it could be it's kind of a sport for anybody because you can kind of pick and choose which race that you're going to do and you know maybe if you're not as fit you can go do a bike park race or if you're really fit you go slog for eight hours up in trans bc what does that look like, though? You know, when uh, when you're racing cars, uh, like the Spec Miata series, so everyone is pretty much driving the same car, and then it comes down to the skill of the driver. Is other specs for the bikes? Um, not necessarily, other than current trends. Um, mountain biking is a is a pretty ruthless sport where. Um, you feel like you need to have the latest and greatest components to keep up with everybody. So um, bikes are very different. They range in all different suspension travels, but they are enduro bikes are generally um, six inches of travel. Um, there's two different wheel sizes. Um, you can have a multitude of different drivetrains and, and brake combinations, but it's really about um, the skill of the rider. The bike doesn't really play too much of a role. Um, you know, you could have a really great rider on nothing and still, you know, still be fast. Sure, sure, yeah. And what kind of what kind of bike do you ride? I ride a Reeb Squeeb. It's a bike that uh, I designed and built. Um, the company I started working for, Reeb, um, came out with this bike and I actually, um, I saw it when it came out and I wanted to, um, I wanted to get one and I didn't work on Fridays, so I actually asked if I could help out in their machine shop on Fridays and trade for one. And when I came in, um, I kind of immediately started working on the manufacturability of the product, just making the fit and finish better. Um, And then maybe two months later, I was working for them full time, um, taking that bike and racing it and um, really just trying to make it a better product. So. We are on our third, going on our fourth revision of the frame. Um, so I took that original design that um, I came into the company with, and then I've pretty much put my touch on it, and um, it's an awesome bike. I love it. Right on, dude. What's the story? When you talk about frame, you talk about rigidity of the frame or the placement of the pedals and the drivetrain. I mean, when you talk about making revisions to the frame, I mean, all the above? 
Um, the biggest, so um, very broad. So you have aluminum bikes, you have carbon bikes, and then you have steel bikes. There's not a lot of steel full suspension bikes out there. Um, carbon bikes are really popular right now because they're extremely cheap to produce. Um, the problem is with carbon bikes is they have a um, long time uh, to production, or I guess... Uh, lead time. Yeah, they have a lot of lead time. Um, the design work is done and the next year the bike is produced. Um, we work in aluminum and we can do a lot of rapid prototyping on stuff. So um, the big thing is suspension kinematics, making the bike, making the rear end, the suspension feel um, very active and lively on the trail. Um, there's all kinds of different um, things that you can do to the suspension. But uh, with this bike, um, we really wanted to um, make it look awesome. It already rides awesome, but we wanted to improve the machining on all the parts and then add in that great suspension kinematic. And um, it's really like a tuned, tuned feel type of situation. Nice, nice. Now, now just, just as a side note, didn't, uh, what, what place did you take in Slovenia? Uh, in Slovenia, uh, there's not really, that race is kind of like a party race. Um, if you're not first, you're last. Right on, thing. right on. Um, so my girlfriend was also racing. She was um, going back and forth between first and second. Nice. Um, so I actually just hung out at, at an aid station that had some uh, peach schnapps. And uh, <laughs> I hung out until she came by. And um, I kind of paced her into what should have been second place but again if you're not first or last kind of yeah, situation yeah, yeah. so um i think we both won though nice great. nice yeah. nice so what do you have like a do you have a ranking on where you're at um not really so there's um enduro is more of like the in the u.s it's more of a grassroots style there's not a point standing there's not right on really um um you don't have to have a license to race like USA Cycling, which is a good thing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of um, you know if if I were based in if I were were to base it in Colorado, I can usually be in the top ten. But it all depends on who shows up because if the California boys show up or somebody else, like it's always going to mix it up a little bit. Right on, right on. So so what do you do to keep yourself in shape for that kind of work? I mean, that's some hard work. Yeah, I just like to ride a lot. I actually, uh, funny thing is I don't train at all. Um, uh, the joke on our, our kind of make-believe mountain bike team that we have is uh, I got an award one year that was best at being fast without training. Um, I think that just goes um, with I've been riding bikes since I was a kid, and I just like to stay active, and I like to ride. I think my riding skill is better than my fitness, so I can get away with um, being fast, um, you know, just let off the brakes more. So, so what do you? What is, what is your idea of taking care of yourself, though? I mean, or, or do you just let her rip? <laughs> well, um, now the title of the podcast is maintaining yourself in your business. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I like to get out and travel, um, take time for myself, get away from work. Um, the big thing with uh, moving from the medical machine shop that I was working for and moving to Reeb was to have a little bit more freedom. Um, I was on call before. It was a little bit stressful having voicemails when I was out in Moab or, you know, 
out somewhere trying to have fun, um, having voicemails that were saying, oh, machine's down, like, what do we do, type of thing. So, um, you know, moving to a company that has a little bit more flexibility that actually promotes getting out and having fun is huge. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just, yeah, taking time, uh, you know, to make sure that I get outside and go have some fun. Right on. Now, mentally, as far as getting out there and making sure you're you're having fun but not ever getting hurt, right? Because, I mean, the last thing you want to do is have a bad accident and get hurt, especially right. with what you do, because it is, it is a higher risk kind of thing. Yeah. So mentally, you got to stay clear, and you got to just be prepped, and you got to be able to have fun and relax. I mean, what do you do just mentally just to make sure you're, you're good? Um, I guess that's... Um kind of like I just said, like getting out and riding more. Um, it's it's all calculated risk. So um, getting out and being very familiar on the bike, being very familiar with the trail, um, it's, you know, mentally it's very soothing getting out there because I, I know I'm not getting in over my head. Right. Um, and yeah, just being comfortable with what you do and make sure you're never um, out of your element, I guess. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. No, this is you're going to be taking a mountain biking here pretty soon. You're actually you're you are kind of a cyclist. Yeah, but uh, I try to stay on the road <laughs> with my mountain bike. Yeah, um, you know I, I I I do like mountain bike everywhere, um, usually to the pub, usually to get a beer. But uh, yeah, but you know, but I ride it on the hot sidewalks and on the roads, and I, I, as opposed to a road bike, you know, that has really skinny tires, no road road resistance. I right. don't see the point in that. Yeah. Hey, hey, you're getting out there, having fun still. So, I mean, that's that's part of it. Yeah, nice. Nice. So so let's talk about this. I mean, what do you have to say about that, Make, making sure you maintain yourself and everything, Mike? I mean, I know uh, Covey has some great stuff to share, but, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Covey gets into, you know, you, you have a routine every day. You wake up and you, you spend some time um, in the Word or whatever you do from a spiritual standpoint. Uh, or a mental standpoint, meditation. I mean, something to sort of get you grounded to start the day. And then he, he, he's a proponent of some kind of physical exercise to get, you stay, get your day started. And, uh, and then, you know, you, uh, you plan your day and, and you execute that plan. He talks about the night before, if you spend the last 15, 20 minutes of the day planning for the next day, he suggested you could save up to 35% even. You know, you're 35% more effective the next day. And I, I see that. So, you know, just settling into a rhythm uh, is, I think, what Covey would, would propose. And uh, and, and I, I, it sounds like you, you, you do the rhythm thing too. Um, maybe you don't have a, a ritual every day, but you know, you certainly uh, want to, you want to, put yourself in a groove so that you can come back to that same groove. I mean, that's the idea. Yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm a little looser, but uh, I mean, my uh, part of my agenda is, um, you know, going and having fun at work, and every day, at work every day and learning something new and then hopefully riding bikes after work. Um, this time of the year when it gets darker sooner, um, we do a thing called a Rebromp. It's a, a weekly, every Thursday night ride um, at night. So we ride lights yeah. um, on fun mountain bike trail. And that's right now, that's like what is really keeping me going. I right can't always make all of them, but the week that I'm like, oh yeah, Thursday I'm free. I can go out and ride and go have fun for a night. 
That's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. I, you know, I got out to see your shop here this last year too, and really, really enjoyed you taking time to, to show me around and show me what you're doing and designing, and you introduced me to your to your buds there, and, and the story behind Reeb and how I got started is really fascinating. But uh, you know, our our history goes back and, and uh, into I was one of the guys that was reaching out to you because of Down Machine, and we needed some help. Um, but what do you see? You've been in and out of a lot of shops over the years. What do you what do you typically see in a shop as far as maintaining a business, maintaining equipment? Um, so first thing, uh, so my dad was a uh, maintenance supervisor at, or facilities maintenance supervisor at John Deere for, I think he was, I mean, he's retired now, but he was there for 30, over 30 years. And so as a kid, I always got to take tours through their shop, which their shop is huge. Um, in a little John Deere Gator, it takes over an hour to drive around the shop. Oh, wow. So wow. Um, as a kid, I didn't really see um, the depth of what I was looking at. But when I uh, got my first job out here in Colorado at the uh, med device manufacturer, first thing I, when I stepped in, I was like, wow, this place is immaculate. You know, the, the floors were um, epoxy coated, the walls were white, the ceiling was white, all the machines were new within 10 years, 5-10 years, and it was just very order- orderly. And uh, you know, that first day I was like, man, I've got to keep this place looking like that. And I've been to a lot of other shops, I've been to a couple aerospace shops in, in uh, Boulder that have been there for a long time, you can probably figure out who I'm talking about. but walk into that shop and it was clear that they have been doing the same thing for the, a long time and their machines are old, the machines dirt, the shop is dirty, you can tell they smoked cigarettes in there for a hundred years. And um, yeah, you really get a look of, at a way their company take takes care of their shop by the look of their machines and you know all the airlines and conduit running vertical to the machines all tied together, um, well lit. Um, clean machines, you know, good employees keep their machines clean. Uh, they clean up at the end of the shift. You know, there's a lot of things that you can tell by just literally taking 10 seconds walk through a machine shop. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so what do you see as far as, like, every time you buy a new machine, uh, especially in machine shops, they have a whole list of uh, things that need to be regularly maintained and and what do you see do you see typically typically people do they just stay right by that and always maintain their machines on the schedule and stay right at it or do you see the opposite uh well i kind of see the opposite for the most part uh so you buy a new machine and that machine tool company does their best to make the company very easy to maintain they put sight glasses on all the oil tanks so you can visually see if the um, if the hydraulic tank has oil in it. Mm-hmm. They put screens over the um, condensers so you can easily change like the foam screen so you can make sure that the coil doesn't get clogged with you know dirt and oil because that's going to reduce the efficiency. Um, and a lot of times those are the screens are black, the oil in the sight glass is black or low, and there's oil on the floor. Um, that's all stuff that is, you know, regular maintenance to keep to keep the machines up and running. Yeah, that's the easy stuff. Let alone if a machine needs greased or something like in some weird, you know, corner that you can barely get to. You know, if they aren't changing oil, they aren't doing all the other stuff, and that might be a spindle. That might oh, be yeah. something big. Yep. Um, yeah, 
having a dedicated at the shop that I was at before we were a uh, ISO 13485 and FDA approved shop I think we're FDA I think by the end we we're FDA and that all requires a dedicated PM schedule and so when I started that company I adopted a um, a maintenance PM system called Cogs and a great system it it you know you just when you buy a new machine, you look in the maintenance manual and it has a full PM list of everything that you need to do. All you do is take that page, import it into COGS, and then you have a populated um, PM system. So you, every week you get a piece of paper that says, oh, you need to go grease these three grease circs mm -hmm. and you need to check, you know, X, Y, and Z to make sure that, you know, mm -hmm. everything's all good. So. A lot of shops don't even look at that maintenance manual and just buy a new machine and just run it into the ground, it seems like. Yeah, I'll tell you, my, my father was uh, manager of maintenance and engineering for Hitachi Metals, uh, another big company. And uh, he said either pay for it now or pay for it later, he said, but if you do your PMs, it saves you so much money if you stay consistent on your preventative maintenance because otherwise... You're gonna. It's gonna be the worst possible time. Murphy's gonna show up. Murphy's law. He's gonna oh, yeah. show up on a weekend. And he on a weekend, running the hottest part of something that has to be done by Monday. That's when Murphy shows up. But if you do PMs and you schedule it, it it's just it's not that way. You, you it's on your terms when you're maintaining this stuff. Yeah, a lot of times with PMs, you will see the telltale signs of something getting ready to fail. Um, also, maintaining a very good relationship with the operators is huge. Um, one thing I did when I, uh, when I'd walk around each machine to do a PM, I would, you know, chat for a couple of minutes with the operator be like, Hey, how's everything going? Like, you know, if they're like, Oh man, my tolerances are really drifting towards the end of the day or something. It's like, well, okay, maybe we look at spindle temps mm -hmm. and, you know, put your hand on the, the sub spindle at the end of the day and it's smoking hot. Well, things are going to start growing yeah. or shrinking. That's right. Um, so, yeah, maintaining that relationship, you know, don't be the maintenance guy that just walks around with his head down, hands in the pockets. And, you know, you got to maintain a relationship. you got to ask people about their machines because maybe they're like, oh, yeah, it's been doing this weird thing for like two weeks now. <laughs> and you're like, well, why didn't you tell anybody two weeks ago? They're like, well, I don't know. It was just making good parts. So I figured it was okay. Well, that could be, you know, a ball screw going out or a servo right. motor getting ready to fail. So... You know, Adam, it's a you can uh, you can build a company with people like you, right? Who are just kind of committed to everything that they do. I mean, there's no mistake about the fact that uh, that you you you're an extreme athlete um, in, in terms of, of bicycling, um, and then you're an ex you're extreme in the work that you do in terms of maintaining equipment. I mean, you just you're just committed to whatever it is you do, and, and you can build a company with people who. And, and, and if you sit down with a, an employee and say, what do you do outside of work? And they go, I go home and drink beer and watch TV. Uh, you probably have a pretty good idea what kind of employee they are too, right? I mean, it's just lack of commitment in so many different ways. And so this idea of maintaining yourself, maintaining your business, well, well, the individuals that make up your company have to have something that's, that's, that's driving them um, if, if, if you're going to be all that you can be. And uh, what's really interesting, though, Adam, is... Uh, for the average small to medium-sized business owner, they do exactly what you just said that companies do when they buy a machine. They buy a machine, don't look at the owner's manual, plug that baby in, and ride it hard till it dies. And that's what they do with their company. 
And then they're mad. Then they're mad because the equipment dies. And they're like, well, why did it die? It's supposed, that's, this is supposed to be a 20-year piece of equipment. In three years, it's trash. Why? Sure. Or their business. They work in the business all day. All day. Just driving hard, driving hard. Never step back to, to look at operating on their business. Right? They're like, um, do some planning. You know, do some um, uh, long-term strategy. Right? Those are the things. That are, they're sort of like... Um, maintaining the equipment investing in the employees by giving them some education stepping up and and teaching the employees how to be you know at the next level than where they're at or spending regular time with the employees with reviews and hey this is what's going on i don't think you need a review once a year to talk to somebody and and uh and talk to them and say hey you're doing a really good job here but i'd like you to kind of pick us up and hey let's let's chat next week i'll stop by And, and i think a lot of shops forget you know, machines don't make parts, people make parts. And you gotta take care of your most important asset, which is your employees. Sure. And so when we encounter a company and we walk in and it's spotless and the employees are, are, uh, uh, are engaged um, and committed, you also have an owner who's like you, has something they're committed to outside of the work too. And right. it's, you know, it's just a personality. Yeah. And, um... Even when hiring employees, like uh, when I was hiring, when I was getting ready to leave uh, this last company, when I was hiring employees to replace me, my first question was, what's in your toolbox? And that's a pretty broad question. Um, Toolbox could be toolbox of skills. It could be, I've got a crescent wrench. Or, you know, it, it could be, what can you bring to the table? And if somebody says, well... Exactly. If I just go home and drink beer or I go home and work on this old 40s pickup or this motorcycle or I'm a home builder or, you know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to work with metal. You don't have to be a welder to be a machinist. You could be into woodworking, sure, but sure. you have an attention to detail, a finite skill that is going to make you a better employee. So, Absolutely. yeah, that's a very important question. I, I, I think as we... As we look at this thing, um, I think it's very important as we go into being a business owner or a leader, and you don't have to be an owner to be a leader in a company, I think we all know that, but to really invest in yourself in the morning, um, to set your day straight the night before. Um, Physical exercise is super important to mental clarity and mental ability. I I think uh, really as you dive into this whole thing, maintaining yourself, making sure you're of good health because you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family and your employees to take care of yourself, you know, and then maintaining your business when you when you buy a piece of equipment, staying up on top of your maintenance and then turning around as far as your overall business, maintaining that. I think it's super critical that, uh, that we take it seriously because it's what's going to be here tomorrow. It's, take care, it's going to take care of your family, right? Absolutely. Right on, Dave. Right on, Mike. systems do what we do because we want to impact lives through improving business performance if you want more information go to our contact page at www.ebitagrowsystems.com that's e-b-i-t-d-a growthsystems.com